All right, welcome to another Pro Football Doc podcast. Jam-packed, as I did a little preparation, we actually knocked out about seven topics because we have so much to talk about here. And we're settling on the lead being vaccines and the NFL. But we have a lot of other things to talk about, too. The uh, Des Bryant contact tracing situation to try and explain it, the rash of certain injuries, but also really explaining Alex Smith now that he's done so well and he has an injury. And we have some uh, things to explain to you that I think will be quite interesting and fun here. Look, those of you who have followed along know that I am not staying in my house COVID fearful and I could talk those people out of their homes. But I'm also not a COVID denier. COVID is real. Uh, I have my mask, et cetera. You got to be careful. And the social distancing, and those of you who follow me have known, known what I, my point is that I want to point out what's real and what's not real and give you the best take on it. But I'm an orthopedic surgeon. I'm not a infectious disease or COVID expert, but I know enough about the areas Look, if I were still a head team physician, I would be kind of in charge of interpreting a lot of this stuff. So I feel like I'm uh, sort of an in-house counsel on all this, and I'm interpreting all this. So the big news now is the vaccine is here or out. Uh, here, the first batch of COVID-19 vaccines has arrived at LAX, um, and uh, distribution is now starting. And what does this now mean for the NFL? That's gonna be the focus of my conversation. I'm not trying to solve all the ills of the world. So here's my conclusion. The vaccine in the NFL, what's this release of vaccine? What is it gonna to do to the NFL? And there's even talk, there was a uh, Wall Street Journal article, maybe the NFL should get it and we'll, we'll get the vaccine. We'll talk about all of that. But the bottom line, punchline is, how is the vaccine going to affect the NFL this season? The answer is, in my opinion, not at all. It's not going to have any effect at all. It's not going to end testing for players. I don't believe players will have access to the vaccine or staff or coaches or anything. I don't believe fans will get it and all of a sudden be able to go back to stadiums. Now, can the vaccine or the changing times affect the NFL next season? Maybe, hopefully, fingers crossed, let's see how it works out. But let's talk about the vaccine a little bit and the whole process in the NFL. But although this is exciting news, and I'm not against it, I'm thrilled that there's a vaccine out there. There's still a lot of intermediary steps before it has widespread usage and it really won't affect the NFL at all this season for the good or for the bad. All the protocols will need to stay in place. First of all, the initial release of the vaccine is only to targeted areas. Uh, Clay Travis asked me on Fox Sports, what did I think about an article that said perhaps NFL players should get it first to show the public that the vaccine is safe and okay the NHL apparently plans to privately source the vaccine. I think the NHL is going to get a lot of blowback for privately sourcing the vaccine. Uh, you know, just because there's money and access, you're getting 
quote, cutting to the front of the line? What about elderly, healthcare workers, people of need, people with, you know, uh, comorbidities? That's not for me to discuss here, but I can see that. But the uh, NFL getting it, I just don't see it happening for a couple of reasons. Let's talk about some direct knowledge from me. I'm old enough and been around long enough that the flu vaccine, I'm talking about influenza vaccine, not COVID vaccine. The regular flu vaccine wasn't always around in my medical lifetime. When I started as a team physician initially, you didn't have the flu vaccine, but the flu vaccine was introduced and uh, teams thought it was a good idea to give it to their players because just like before COVID, you could have the regular flu run through your facility. Was it a year or two years ago? I think there was eight or 10 Patriots that flew on a different plane down, I think to play the Saints. I may be mistaken because they didn't have anyone in practice and there was eight, 10 guys still sick. They took two different airplanes. So the regular flu can ravage through a team too. I mean, just this week, admittedly, I think it was food poisoning, not the flu, but Garrett Bowles and Noah Fant were out for the Broncos because of illness, potentially the same illness. In any case, the influenza vaccine is something that we offered to players every year. And let me tell you, when it first came out, most players didn't take it. We had to convince the players to take it. Uh, yes, uh, it was hard to source, but the team or the physicians were able to source some of them. But we got enough for everyone, but everyone didn't take it because there were questions about the vaccine, the safety, the efficacy. And uh, we as doctors would set a good example and, and show the players, look, I took it, you should take it and educate players. So the idea that the NFL should get it first to show the public that the vaccine is okay is faulty logic. I don't think all players would take it. I don't think I ever convinced all 53 guys on the active roster on our team to take the regular flu vaccine. Coaches seemed to take it more, especially if they were older, but the players didn't, I mean, it was probably only 80% at most on a good year that would take it. And with this vaccine, I don't think that it's a guarantee that everyone will take it. So bad idea to just source it for the NFL, uh, et cetera. Uh, not a good idea from my perspective. But the other thing, just to point out, and those who watched and know me, I'm not trying to be political. I'm not political. I'm actually trying to stay out of anything COVID. But since vaccines are the big topic of the news today, Monday after week 14, and also the NFL, and I'm sort of your resource to interpret some of the NFL happenings with COVID, I thought it was germane to cover. But first of all, you do realize any vaccine, and I'm not harping on this COVID-19 vaccine, and there are several different kinds, and I don't know the exact science behind it. But let me tell you, even the quote, regular flu vaccine, this is not measles, mumps, rubella, like when we're little, one shot and you're good, and you know, whatever it is. This isn't even like tetanus, one shot and you're good for a number of years. The flu vaccine, is given the regular flu vaccine every fall offered every fall why a you lose immunity b the virus mutates and changes and so the vaccine has to change now 
We don't know enough about COVID-19, but if you look at other models, today's COVID vaccine isn't going to be tomorrow's. And it's also not one shot and you're good, period, end of story. Just like it's not a given, people have asked me, why don't we have COVID parties, have all the team get it, and then you're good, you know? Doesn't work that way. Besides, you can transmit it obviously to other people and it's not safe to do that, but the immunity is not guaranteed. There seems to be some immunity. The latest for doctors I've talked to said, you know, you might get six months of immunity. Depends on how badly you got the COVID in terms of your body and everyone's different. But it's not necessarily said to be permanent. And neither is this flu vaccine. So as much as we herald that this is a great thing, and I support it too, it's not the panacea end all. Take a flu vaccine and you're good. At best under today's technology, we might even have to take this flu vaccine, COVID-19 vaccine every three months. This is a rushed process with the vaccine. The immunity conferred in the testing was only three months. Will it be six months? Will it be a year? Will it be longer? I don't know, maybe, who knows, we can hope. But right now, the manufacturers and the FDA, they're only certifying it for three months. So that's another thing where this flu vaccine, COVID-19 vaccine, isn't the magic bullet, isn't the one and only answer. So although it's welcomed, I don't think it's gonna change the NFL at all, certainly not this season. I don't think this, now there's a vaccine that the NFL is gonna say, we're gonna vaccinate everybody who, uh, is in the playoffs and we don't need a playoff bubble and we'll be safe and we'll play all the games. I don't think that's a magic answer, even if the NFL could do it and politically they wouldn't get grief for it. I don't think it's the magic answer. And look, everyone's heard anecdotes. You get the flu shot, the regular flu shot, and sometimes you get the sniffles or a cold a little bit or the flu a little bit. So I don't know that everyone will get it, but we don't even know all the effects. And it's not magic, that's all I'm saying. It's a good step. Let's see what happens. Look, um, I'm not an anti-vaxxer. Uh, I need to look at the science and the whole deal, but this is not a panacea. That's all I'm saying in terms of vaccine and the NFL. The NFL is still working through its COVID protocol. If you look at all the changes, and, and look, I applaud the fact that they're changing. From the beginning of the season, I was like, gosh, you guys on the sidelines are the ones that need the masks. On the field, the, the shields that they were developing, uh, that's, theater. That's not where they're going to get it. The contact tracing has been that. And you've seen the league now mandate masks on the sidelines, etc. What I've said is if you want to do a post-game uh, greeting or jersey exchange, that's fine. Make people put masks on first, right? And instead, they ban that, but they allow the handshakes, but no jerseys. It is what it is. But the, but the protocol's evolving, and that's a good thing. That's a good thing that the protocol's evolving. To, to what the need is. The NFL has said basically over, the reason why they put people on high risk for five days, over 90% of cases happen within the first five days of exposure. So one of the sidelines of this, there are actually a lot of studies that can come out of the NFL. Here's a group that's had a unique system of rigorous testing. And so in some ways, you're controlling all these people. You're contact tracing them. You have the Connexon devices of where they are. It's essentially a science experiment of how 
COVID spreads and travels. And so I think there are some people working on that, including the NFL, to maybe, uh, you know, all the money spent on testing to have societal benefit. So Des Bryant, he's tested negative now after he got pulled off the field. I get what happened. He got tested. It was inconclusive. They tested it again, the sample was inconclusive. And then they gave him a rapid COVID test that was positive and they pulled him off the field. The irony is that the Baltimore testing facility is actually close to the Ravens and they can get it same day, same afternoon. Most teams, there's only six centers. You have to fly or truck it or drive it and uh, you don't get it till that evening, early the next morning. But the Ravens are close enough, they got it in time to pull them off the field for that Tuesday game in the irony of all ironies. But they were able to contact Trace. And within 20 minutes, in an Albert Breer article, it said that the NFL determined that there were no high risks for the Ravens and the game went on, which is good news. But there's still questions I have. If you go a week back, the Broncos played without a true quarterback because why? On a Thursday, Jeff Driscoll tested positive. On a Saturday, two days later, is when the final contact tracing came back in and they pulled Drew Locke and the other quarterbacks off the field. So the Broncos didn't even have a chance to practice with their practice squad wide receiver who was a college quarterback. So there's still more work to be done in the contact tracing world. To me, I would vote that the NFL doesn't do this retroactive contact tracing but every day tells players hey you are really too close to this person if person a tests positive for covid you would be out for five days you better not do that again be more proactive with the contact tracing that they have and almost like you know my son and my my daughter you'll be how many steps do i have today how many steps do i have today Oh, I only got 6,000 today. Mom says I need eight or 10, and then they go out and run around. Like, how close have I been with anyone today? You know, and, and, and in real time to, to change behavior, that would be my solution. Anyways, enough about COVID. Uh, let's talk about our runaway comeback player of the year. I showed you guys before in the past this device for Alex Smith. He's got a calf strain. First of all, He's not at risk for permanent damage or losing his leg. So let's just get that out of the way. So this device, admittedly, this is what Alex Smith has. Admittedly, this is for the left side. Everything would be switched opposite the right side for him. But what this does is when you have a foot drop, when you push down, it comes up, right? It brings your foot up so your foot doesn't drag. Okay, this is strapped around your calf. This is your toe, right? And this is your heel. Your foot goes in here, pushes down, because he, he has muscle to push down, but have it come up. Now, keep that in mind. See, there's extra resistance coming down, but it comes right back up, because that's where he needs the help. We'll come back to that point. So why is a calf strain on Alex Smith such a big deal? Not because he's going to lose his leg, but because he's already lost a lot of his calf muscle. Before we get to that, um, last game for Alex Smith, the bloody sock on the other side. This is, see, you see the brace in here somehow, right, etc. And uh, you see this, you see this bar right here wrapping around here. That's basically, see how this bar, 
there's a strap up here, which is this up here. And see how this bar wraps around? That's kind of this bar the other way, right? Mirrored the other side. So that's the bad side. But if you look at the left leg, all this blood, thankfully his uniform's burgundy. That was a gusher, a cleat gusher. And uh, they stopped it, not a big deal, but uh, that's just an interesting note there. But let me explain to you why this is a big deal. And I don't want to gross anybody out. So fair warning, don't look. We talked about this a little bit before. Uh, fair warning here. It was the infection that was the issue, not the fracture. So this is a picture from the ESPN special uh, on Alex Smith. So here we go. This is what his leg looked like from infection. The black stuff is dying skin and dying tissue. The bubbles and the vesicles, I get it's grotesque. And uh, I'll uh, get off of that. And so that ate away on his skin and, and muscles and tendons and nerves. And this is what it looked like after they cleaned up the infection. This one might be worse. So you want to look away if you don't want to look at it. The fact that you know that it's Alex Smith's leg makes it really grotesque. Otherwise, you'd say, oh, it's like, you know, something else. So this is a picture from the ESPN special of Alex Smith's leg. There's his toes. There's his big toe, ankle, his heel, his knees right up here. So this is his tibia main bone. This is the smaller bone, the fibula. That's the plate for the fracture. See, the plate fracture is an issue. He's lost all of this tissue. So in order to cure him, what do you need to do? You need to cover this bone to be able to get the skin graft and other things going. So what do you do? Parts of it, you take muscle from other areas and literally free flap transfer it. But also, you usually take part of his calf muscle and swing it to cover the top of this. So my point is, enough of the picture, you lose, Alex Smith has lost tissue in his leg and muscle in his leg from the infection, but he has also lost part of his calf muscle to make up for it, cover it. So he's already weakened in the calf. Then you add to that that he's weakened, and then you add to that he's playing NFL football. And then you add to that this brace, which we say is a good thing. It helps his foot drop. But it, as much as it springs you back up, it makes it harder to push off here because there's resistance here. So it's almost like you need a strong calf to use this type of brace. So Alex Smith being pulled in the second half is more about his, not the safety of his leg, but the safety of his overall body, his effectiveness, his ability to play through because of the type of brace he has and the already weakened calf muscle and now a calf strain. So Ron Rivera and company are, did him a solid because Alex Smith probably would have stayed in the game. They're just like, look, we got to keep you safe. Not your leg, but just your whole body. And because of that, I, gotta, I don't think the calf strain is going to get better that quickly, partly because he's already lost part of his calf, right? And he's got to wear this AFO thing. 
So I think it's likely Dwayne Haskins this next week. So they're going to elevate another quarterback. Look, I think Alex Smith was on the sideline. He was ready to come back in if Haskins got hurt. But I, I think that with these hurdles, as fantastic as Alex Smith has done, I don't know. I got to lean towards it's going to be uh, Dwayne Haskins moving forward here. Anyways, I say that in the whole positive thing and, and the whole idea of the pictures is once again Alex Smith. It should be the Alex Smith comeback, comeback player of the year award. And he talked that look, Big, Big Ben has done a great job coming back, but come on, this is like all time for, for Alex Smith. All right, let's move on to a few other topics here. Uh, we were pretty lucky this week doing the injury analysis. We were 4-1 uh, and one this week on our OutKick article. Uh, giving the four and one week, so overall we're 42, 24, and four for the five picks uh, every Sunday, a plus 18 margin uh, with the Outkick articles, and uh, you know we we were lucky. We actually picked the Bears and they won outright. Uh, we uh, uh, we uh, picked the uh, Bucks and they uh, covered. Uh, the Titans dominated easily, and. Um, Packers didn't cover. That's the one that uh, let us down. And the other afternoon game was the, uh, oh, yeah, and of course, I forgot. We picked Washington, uh, and uh, they were plus three and a half, and they won outright. We picked Washington with Alex Smith uh, against the 49ers. Anyways, so moving on to some of the right and wrongs for the week. I have someone uh, try and grade me on it. Uh, we'll concentrate more on the wrongs. The right, Josh Jacobs, after all, did play and got the bulk of the carries. Madison was out. Godwin was fine. Bridgewater played. A.J. Brown played through. Tyreek Hill was fine. Arnett was out. Gibson missed. Those were all fine. But Brandon Cooks was a surprise that I got wrong. He actually did not play. and But it wasn't due to his head injury. It was due to his uh, neck and foot I thought he would be fine from his head injury, but I guess there's neck and foot that we didn't know about. I was doubtful that Darius Slay would play, but he did until he got a concussion. So now with his concussion, MCL, and calf injury, I don't think he plays this uh, next week. But uh, if you go to profootballdoc.com, we have some videos up for you um, right on the side here, recent videos. If you click on all the videos, You'll see the live stream we're doing now and the injury rundown, but early bird. But Philadelphia versus Arizona. Kyler Murray is healthy. We record these on Sunday afternoon. Kyler Murray's healthy. Uh, and uh, the Eagles now have confirmed that Rodney McCloy tore his ACL, which is what we told you in game. With Avante Maddox multi-week knee issue, Darius Slay being out. The Broncos, sorry, the Eagles will be out three-fourths of their defensive backfield, three-fourths of the secondary out as they now face a healthy Kyler Murray, and that's why we thought the line would move. Another one there, uh, we talked about Alex Smith maybe not playing, and also Antonio Gibson is going to be declared out, so that Seattle line may move, Seattle versus the Washington line. And Buffalo versus Denver. Denver already is without A.J. Boye. PED suspension. Bryce Callahan, their number one and two corners now, out with a foot injury with surgery. They lost three cornerbacks this last week. Asang Bassi, 
tore his ACL. Duke Dawson tore his ACL yesterday. That means the top four corners are out. And another depth corner, Tolliver, tore his ACL. <coughs> Excuse me. So that means five total in the, and the four top corners are out for the Broncos. Um, Josh Allen, Stephon Diggs and company may have a big day. Anyways, uh, that's part one of the Pro Football Doc podcast. Hopefully I provide a little insight on vaccines, Alex Smith's situation in the NFL. And uh, hopefully you're enjoying ProFootballDoc.com and the OutKick articles and pieces. Uh, thanks for watching. All right, welcome to Pro Football Doc Podcast, our injury rundown segment where we give you uh, position by position what we think coming from week 14 into week 15. And of course, the ever popular ending with Beast of the Week. But also want to share something that to me that struck me as sad before we talk and share the Beast of the Week uh, segment. But let's get right to it with the rundown here. Lots of quarterbacks, and uh, I always like to start with good news. So let's start with good news. Uh, Tua's ankle, inversion sprain when he was stepped on the inside of his ankle, has nothing to do with the previous ankle surgeries that he's had uh, in college. So not a big deal. Uh, and he p played through and finished no issues. Kyler Murray's shin, uh, he banged shins, leg whipped. He's fine. Limped a little bit. He's going to be fine this next week. And his shoulder is 100%. He had 13 carries. Everyone's like, Kyler's not running the ball. Murray's not running the ball. Well, he's running the ball now. Uh, Deshaun Watson's elbow. He banged the inside of his elbow. Likely the funny bone, the ulnar nerve, as it comes right across here. And it causes numbness and tingling. That's why he's holding his hand and wrist there. And um, obviously, he finished the game very transitory. Not a big deal for Deshaun Watson. And uh, Cam Newton has played through his abdomen fine. I'll, uh, I'll tell you the other one that I don't think is a big deal. Uh, what we talked about in the first segment of the Pro Football Doc po podcast. In the big picture, the calf strain for Alex Smith is not a big deal. But as we talked about in that segment there, because of all the history, it is a big deal. But this is not going to be an injury where you go, uh-oh, he's at risk for losing his leg or catastrophic injury. It's really a functional assessment if he can protect himself. So at least that is some good news. Uh, I'm not sure that he plays this next week, but we'll have to see. And uh, they'll definitely need to shore up their quarterback crew, Washington. They are in first place. Let's talk about uh, continue on optimism. There's been some pessimism about Big Ben, where he's not practicing, his knee, is his knee still bothering him? It may still be bothering him, the MCL, but clearly he's gotten smarter as he's gotten older. Yes, they're passing a lot, they're in shotgun a lot. They're throwing the ball a ton, quick hit, quick passes. He's not running anymore, but I don't think he was running anymore before the knee issue. And yes, he's mispracticed, but you also have to understand, remember a few weeks ago when he first hurt the MCL, he didn't practice all week, he played great, and he told Mike Tomlin, can I just keep doing it that way? And Mike Tomlin said, see you Wednesday, right, practicing. So some of this is, I think he's an older vet, vet days off, I'm not sure it's his knees. Yes, the Steelers have lost two games, so people are looking for reasons. But the bigger reason is 
for the Steelers to have lost two games is they have some offensive line issues now. They've, you know, they missed some time with Pouncey, and then the, and also they've, um, and he is now back. They have some other offensive line injuries, et cetera. COVID, Stephon Tuitt, they're missing several linebackers, which we'll cover, four linebackers. That may be the bigger deal for the Steelers. Big Ben's knee, I think, is fine. And obviously, everyone's forgot about his elbow. Brandon Allen, backup for the Bengals, should be able to play. A knee bone bruise, nothing significant there. So I think he will play in place of Joe Burrow again. And then uh, Drew Brees, ribs. Look, I still believe it was possible for him to play this past week, week 14. If this were a playoff game, he would have undoubtedly played. He didn't play because the Saints want to be smart with their star. I'm sure Drew wanted to play. He was eligible to come off injured reserve. Rib fractures heal pretty reliably. The lung issue is probably behind him. But waiting another week will make him a week healthier. And quite honestly, if Taysom Hill went 4-0 instead of now losing and going 3-1, losing to the Eagles, there might be less pressure to play Drew Brees. But I think Drew comes back this week. I think medically he can. I think Drew wants to. I think Drew will lobby his way back into playing. And, uh, you know, um, it, you know, recovery, I've always said, is not a light switch. It's not like if you wait an extra day or an extra week, Drew will be 100% or the rib will have no issues. It's all gradual. And with the loss, and the Saints was significant, they lost the number one seed this last week, this weekend because now they're tied with the Packers and they lost to them head-to-head. So remember, only one team gets a bye. So right now, it's the Packers. So uh, the Saints, you know, need to win if they want that bye. So I think with all those reasons, I think Drew comes back, and I think he's full go when he, when he comes back, when he returns. The two other players with question marks this week is one is Daniel Jones. He obviously was not himself. And to Daniel Jones's credit, he did not blame the hamstring. The Giants lost to Kyler Murray and the Cardinals. Look, he took six sacks. He never scrambled around the ball a single time. What does that tell you? His hamstring wasn't 100%, and you could see it the way that he was moving. Kudos to him. It was a game effort. The Giants are right there for a playoff spot. They wanted him to play. He did play. He played at less than 100% and did not use the hamstring for an excuse. This week, he'll play again. He'll be better from the hamstring. I still don't think he's going to run 40 yards for a touchdown as he has done on several occasions. But he might run a little bit out of necessity this week. It'll probably be another week before he really is back to himself. But that's where Daniel Jones is. And then the biggest question mark at quarterback is Matthew Stafford. He got folded over and injured his left anterior ribs. And that usually is a rib cartilage, soft rib injury. Those can be more painful and take longer to heal. But this is Matthew Stafford. He's played through a back fracture. He's played through... Uh, the thumb on the collateral. He's pay, played through so many different injuries. He's a warrior. I don't see how he doesn't play. Worst case scenario, he misses practice during the week, wears a flak jacket, gets a rib block injection, and think and I think tries to play. Uh, and uh, that's my opinion. 
if he's waiting to be 100% and whatever he's done for the season, the rib cartilage is going to bother him the final three weeks. But that's not the way that Matt Stafford is built. All right, let's move on to running backs. Everyone keeps asking about Christian McCaffrey. Look, the Panthers are saying, let's see what happens this week. Let's see if we can practice. I just don't see it. They did not let him play with the high ankle sprain until he was 100%. They did, weren't going to let him play with the AC joint uh, until you know they sat him for the four weeks, including after the bye. I don't think they're going to push him through a, a quad strain. That could get worse. You know, I get it. There's no big long-term deficit, even if he re were to re-aggravate it. I just see the pattern, and uh, the Panthers don't really have anything to play for. I don't see them running out their uh, star young running back unless he's 100%. So I don't think he plays this week again due to the, quote, tweaked quad. But we'll see what happens. Um, Ronald Jones with his pinky, maybe fracture. Bruce Arians was talking about pinning it, surgery, something. Remember, Marquise Goodwin played with a pinned fracture in his finger within two weeks and caught balls. A pinky finger, you can protect it, you can buddy tape it, you can pin it, and it's a ball security issue. He's going to be able to run the ball. I don't see how Ronald Jones doesn't play, even if he needs surgery on that pinky finger. The uh, Dolphins have severe issues at the running back position and the wide receiver position, and we'll get to that uh, in a minute. But uh, Tua, we talked about, he's okay, but he literally doesn't have anyone to throw to, and we'll cover that next in wide receivers. But for runners, Ga Miles Gaskin, COVID positive, likely out this week too. Salvin Ahmed with the shoulder. Breida's been out. I mean, they're really struggling on offense for the Dolphins there. Uh, Devonta Freeman could come back off of COVID for the Giants this week, so some help for Daniel Jones. Alexander Madison missed this week with coming off, the second week coming off the appendicitis. He might be back this week. If it's a laparoscopic epi, he might be back this week. Antonio Gibson missed and will miss more still. Um, likely season. More likely season than not for Antonio Gibson. And uh, between that and Alex Smith's situation, that's why we made that Washington game a, a potential line mover where the line will move because of those two Washington football team health issues as they're announced. Joe Mixon, uh, I, I don't think he's coming back this season. Uh, no news. All right, let's go to the wide receivers, and let's start with the Dolphins. Uh, Hakeem Grant, unlikely to play due to his uh, hamstring, a hamstring issue. Devontae Parker, we went back and looked at video for his leg injury in the second quarter before he left. Didn't see a lot, so it might be a muscle issue. Didn't see any trauma. So Isaiah Ford on their practice squad has the most yards this season out of anybody in less than 200. So to a... It's going to need running back and receiver help. And uh, not to mention Mike Gusecki, their tight end. And we'll cover that in the tight end section. Uh, so in terms of the Dolphins, and I guess I need to look and see uh, uh, who the Dolphins are uh, playing this coming week here. But really when you get down to it, um, they're pretty impacted. Uh, you know, Tua will be okay, but uh, the... Uh, 
the Dolphins without wide receivers, without running backs, and really without their tight end as they put play uh, New England. They're slight favorites, uh, two and a half point favorites uh, right now. It started at three, but maybe as all these injuries get known, that'll change too. But that's pretty impactful there. Uh, next up for wide receivers, Tyree Kill. I think is fine. He had a cramp at the end of the game. It wasn't a hamstring or anything. Uh, DJ Moore should be back from COVID for the Panthers. Brandon Cooks was a surprise, uh, inactive with his foot and neck issue. We'll see what this week bodes, but the Texans don't have any wide receivers. Randall Cobb is essentially done for the year, and uh, Will Fuller has a PED suspension. So uh, the Texans wide receiver core is impacted. Uh, Denzel Mims had personal issues and uh, Julio Jones is still struggling with the hamstring. Keenan Allen with his back and hamstring issue left late in the game on Sunday is going to have a tough time playing this week uh, given the quick turnaround. The Chargers play the Raiders on Thursday. Mike Williams with his back issue we hope it's not related to anything disc like he came into out of college. Debo Samuel left with a hamstring issue from the 49ers on the very first play. Look, I don't know. It could have happened at any point in time. And I get that he was any time you're healthy. But the first play call was an end around to Debo Samuel. And he injures his hamstring. Unavoidable probably. But bottom line is, uh, I don't see Debo playing this next week. Julian Edelman watch continues. He hasn't been inactive activated yet for the 21-day practice window and at this point probably won't be his season may be done let's talk about Mike Gusecki which everyone keeps asking about by video it seemed like he subluxed or dislocated his right shoulder as he fell uh, and likely tore his labrum that usually means surgery but often that can be put off to the offseason my guess best guess is Gusecki misses this next week and can return the following week with a strap or harness on his shoulder. Kyle Rudolph broke his 95-game consecutive start streak with a foot issue. Uh, to me, if you get knocked out from a streak like that for one week, it might be longer than one week. Noah Fant with an illness that was more food poisoning, not COVID, should be back. Austin Hooper's neck seems likely to miss tonight's game, Monday Night Football. Uh, with the Browns playing the Ravens. George Kittle's foot, let's see if he gets activated uh, to practice. Uh, but at this point, the 49ers don't have a lot to play for, so they may not push their star, even though Kittle really wants to go. Some offensive line issues. Garrett Bowles with an illness. Once again, food poisoning should be okay. Brandon Linder with an ankle out a few weeks. Uh, James Carpenter with the groin, Brian Balaga with a concussion, as well as Trey Turner. So the Chargers are going to be impacted again on their offensive line. And we'll talk about Costanza briefly uh, and, and a little bit later. Uh, defensively, the Broncos, they've had, in the last seven days, three cornerbacks tear their ACL. Asang Bassi, Asang Bassi, Duke Dawson Jr., ACL and more, Kevin Tolliver, ACL. Remember, they're already down uh, uh, A.J. Boye and Bryce Callahan. So that means top four cornerbacks down in five total. 
down, which is a big deal. Jordan Phillips for the Cardinals. Hamstring is likely out this next week. Eric Kendricks with his calf missed and may miss another week. Darius Leonard should have a good chance to return from his back issue. Uh, uh, Rodney McLeod, uh, McLeod tours ACL uh, with the Eagles. So between Darius Slay out with a concussion and Avante Maddox with a multi-week knee issue, three-fourths of the Eagles' secondary starters may be out. And that's where we made that a line mover. Go to the videos at profootballdoc.com. Fred Warner had a stinger and has a chance to return again this next week. Denzel Ward still out with the calf. Clay Campbell still hampered with the calf. Those are some of the defensive rundowns here. And uh, before we get to the beast of the week, and if you do have any other questions about any other uh people, please go ahead and go to profootballdoc.com and use the player search feature and I'll walk you uh, through it here. If you go to profootballdoc.com, we'll go to the home page here. Um, if you haven't signed up, you can sign up right here with an email and create a password. You, you see we have Baltimore-Cleveland game today and if you look real quickly here, uh, you can see the different injuries, but the Browns, Odell Beckham, slot receiver, tight end, Austin Hooper likely out. So Jarvis Landry is the man receiving the ball, but the rest of the offense is healthy. But if you go to players' teams and here, you can search right here and, and type in any player you want to uh, and uh, get information, et cetera, on anyone that you, on anyone that you want, et cetera. But anyways, um, something, uh, so if I didn't answer anything here, please go there. Something else that, so here's what was a little bit sad, and it caught me off guard before we go to the beast of the week. Um, look, I've moved on. The San Diego Chargers are no longer their L.A. Chargers. I do root for them. I have friends that are still on the team, but it's not the same connection. But this kind of made me a little bit sad for the city of San Diego here. Uh, saw this on Instagram, someone tweeted it here. And so basically, this is Qualcomm Stadium. And uh, it's being torn down. And, you know, honestly, slowly torn down, which almost makes it more painful. And uh, I really didn't expect to get the flood of memories. So you can see it on my Twitter timeline. But uh, I don't know, big part of my life for two decades. So let's move on to the beast of the week there. And um, let me tell you that uh, a couple candidates for beast of the week. The one thing that I love is that I did bring my son down on the field uh, before, uh, before I moved on from the Chargers. We got some pictures, so I should have pulled that up here. Beast of the week. A lot of candidates. One thing that always gets me is how fans harp on players. Like, Daniel Jones, you had a bad game. Daniel Jones was playing hurt. He was trying to get it done for your team. I told you that, and you couldn't run with his hamstring. You know, the Cardinals probably knew it some, too. They probably had extra blitz packages, right? And um, he didn't play that well, and he isn't making excuses. 
Julio Jones has gotten a lot of grief this year. Uh, he's always in, he's always out. Look, if he just sat until he was healthy and missed four or five weeks and six weeks and then came back healthy, he wouldn't get the grief. Instead, he's been in, out, in, out, in, out, and he gets grief. So my beast of the week this week is going to be Anthony Costanzo, left tackle of the Indianapolis Colts. I don't know him. By video, he had an MCL injury to his right knee. I thought he'd be several weeks before he played. He missed one week, and he came back this week. The way he was moving around the field, he clearly was nowhere near 100%. And I know I've said 85% is a good week. And, uh, you know, it's week 14, now 15. But I don't think he was 50, the way he was moving around with the brace. Uh, he left early in the game and came back. And, you know, probably he said, yeah, I got to tape it more, different brace, whatever. And why? This is why he's the beast of the week. A, he's protecting Philip Rivers' blind side. And he knows Rivers needs the protection. He's not a scrambler, and he's got a bad toe, right? The turf toe that we all know about. He also knows LaRaven Clark, his backup, tore his Achilles. And uh, so they're down to their third stringer and heck when Costanzo briefly went into the locker room the left guard moved kicked out their, their pro bowl left guard kicked out the left tackle to try and uh, stem the tie a little bit and Costanzo came back and made it through the game so he's the beast of the week to me because he played through an injury where he really probably shouldn't have and couldn't have and the Colts got a big victory look if Rivers gets pressured on the left side maybe the outcome is different so instead, they're tied atop the uh, AFC South there. Costanza, not anywhere near 100%, probably 50%, fought his way through because his team needed that. So for that, we'll make Anthony Costanzo the beast of the week here at the Pro Football Doc podcast. Anyways, thanks for watching. Check out ProFootballDoc.com for any other uh, uh, updates throughout the week and lots of information. Thanks for watching.